Good morning, good morning, good morning. Welcome to the Unitarian Church of Edmonton on this fine, sunny Sunday morning. My name is Jennifer Askey, and together with Yvonne Moreau, we will be leading your service today. The Unitarian Universalist faith is a creedless community dedicated to a free and responsible search for truth and meaning. We embrace pluralist philosophy. We open our hearts and minds to diverse ideas, feelings, and expressions of our world community. And so whatever your heritage, whatever your faith, whomever you love, wherever you are on your spiritual journey, we are glad to have you here with us today. We also respectfully acknowledge that we are located on Treaty 6 territory, a traditional gathering place for diverse indigenous people, including the Cree, Blackfoot, Métis, Nakota Sioux, Iroquois, Dene, Ojibwe, Salto, Anishinaabe, Inuit, and many others whose histories, languages, and cultures continue to influence our vibrant community here. We also recognize that everyone here, in body and in spirit, has a role to play to help build our community. We can do so by cherishing old friendships and by opening our circle, you notice that we're in a circle today, um, to include newcomers. And so we give thanks to those who work on behalf of this community every day. And we acknowledge our volunteers who make our services run so smoothly. And um, we have a lot of volunteers now. And you will see our welcomers, our ushers, Yvonne and I, and others here on the board who contribute their time and efforts to help our community run smoothly. So as we enter our service time, we ask that you take a moment to ensure that your cell phones are quiet. If you are new here, welcome, welcome. And it is our practice after the service to stay for coffee, tea, and socializing. We welcome you to do that. Stay and join us. We are very glad to have everybody here with us this morning. Yvonne and I hope that you find something in the service today that nourishes your spirit and helps you find or keep your balance or challenges you. I invite us all to sit in a moment of quiet and enjoy the prelude. When you're down and troubled and you need a helping hand and nothing or nothing is going right close your eyes and think of me and soon I will Brighten up even your darkest night. You just call up my name, and you know wherever I am, I'll come running. Oh, yeah, babe, to see you again. All you got to do is call 
this service on radical hospitality, knowing it's a commitment to intentional kindness and inclusivity. It's about each of us resolving to reach out to each other in this place, someone new or someone already part of UCE, and to invite them to feel at ease and to connect with us and the community. Our unspoken affirmation to them is that they matter, that they are seen by us, and that we are interested in them. We light the chalice with these words. May the light we now kindle inspire us to practice loving kindness, to open our hearts to our interdependent connection to each other 
seeking our shared humanity and vulnerability. Let us be intentional in reaching out to all who come here, seeking community and affirmation. Please join us now in hymn 1021, Lean on Me. you all. Okay, so we're going to continue with a responsive reading. Out of the back of your gray hymnal, number 442, on the topic of welcome. And I'm going to read the plain print and ask you to join me in responding with the italicized print. We bid you welcome who come with weary spirit seeking rest who come with troubles that are too much with you, who come hurt and afraid, who come with hope in your heart, who come with anticipation in your step, we bid you welcome who are seekers of a new faith, We bid you welcome who enter this hall as a homecoming. Whoever you are, whatever you are, wherever you are on your journey. And now we're going to do some more singing. 
we're going to sing the hymn of the month here together, and Andrew's going to help us with that. Yes, in your uh, insert in the order of service is the hymn of the month here together. And so we're just going to go through this a couple of times. Uh, it's just a very simple song. We're just going to play the melody this time. And then when we get to Choir Sunday, which is in a couple of weeks, you'll get to hear all the harmonies too. But right now, let's just, let's just work this out. So, ready? We're here. Karen? So play through it once and then we'll sing. through it twice. together. Here together is this month's canvas theme and March is canvas month. This is the time of year when we talk about the finances required to support this church. It's important to talk about this because we the members and friends are the main source of the money that runs this church. We get little less than half of our operating income from rentals, casinos, and other income, but most of our income is from you. So this month, I ask each member to complete a pledge form, which, curiously enough, is on the back of the hymn of the month, <laughs> also called Here Together. Uh, the easiest way to give us a pledge form is to take that pledge form out of your over order of service, fill it out, and put it in the collection plate on one of the five Sundays in March. This is the first one. The last Sunday will be the 29th. If you have questions about Canvas, your pledge, or if you'd like to learn more, then you can meet with either myself or Ruth Marriott, who's here, uh, in the, at the Canvas display in the lobby after church. There is Canvas information on the UC website under a tab marked Canvas, and we'll be presenting short talks like this every Sunday in March, so you can talk to us and meet with us, and we'll give you some more information. We are here together in community through the generous financial contributions of our members and friends. Those financial contributions built and operate this church. Please help us prepare our church budget for the coming year by providing your pledge of financial support. And now keeping in a financial theme, we'll ask Yvonne to ask for our sharing of our abundance. Our community is entirely self-governing and self-supporting. One of the privileges of our free church tradition is to provide all of the financial support for our many ministries from among ourselves. Generosity, therefore, is one of the spiritual values we recognize as central to our personal and institutional well-being. In addition to supporting this church community, we also make offering to an outside community beyond our walls. One half of the unidentified cash that is received is given to an outside organization. Some are local, 
some national, and some international. For March, we are sharing our abundance with the International Council of Unitarian Universalists. The ICUU is a network of member groups around the world who are mostly known as Unitarian or Unitarian Universalists. ICUU brings together leaders to learn, share resources, develop leaders and leadership, inspire and support each other in building spiritual community. It has programs connecting people across the globe, creating coalitions to support growing communities, and to lend a hand in times of need. We nurture fledgling Unitarian Universalist groups, encouraging the development of liberal religion. You are invited to participate in the celebration of giving as the ushers accept the offering. If you like, you can use envelopes found inside the cover of the Gray Hymn Book if you wish to receive a tax receipt for the gift. Many of our friends and members also give monthly or annually through automatic withdrawal from their bank accounts. We thank you. Do I do when my love 
We thank you for your generosity and your support. Please join in the offering hymn written in your order of service. From you I receive. <laughs> So before I share the sermon today on radical hospitality, I want to give you all a bit of information about me and why I volunteered to be up here today. Um, UCE is my third Unitarian congregation. My husband Dale and I, with our two teenage daughters, Margaret and Ingrid, who elected to not join us this morning, um, we've moved a fair bit following our academic careers. We became members of the Unitarian Universalist Fellowship in Manhattan, Kansas, following our move there in 2005, because we wanted to raise our daughters in an environment that reflected our progressive values, our radical beliefs in women's full personhood, our commitment to science and rationality. So like many UUs I know, we came to the Unitarian Church for our kids, for OWL, for RE, taught by brilliant, interesting, and interested adults. And then we stayed, and we became pledgers. We became board members, service leaders, and pulpit contributors. Because we determined that these places and this religious community is one of our best hopes to build the future we want to see in the world, whether that future is in Manhattan, Kansas, or Hamilton, Ontario, or here in Edmonton. And in each of the three congregations I've been a member of, the board or the minister or another lay leader has raised the topic of the lack of diversity in UU churches and our need to think creatively and courageously about how open we are or aren't to people who are different from mainstream UUs. So in talking about radical hospitality today um, and coming up with that as a Sunday service idea, Yvonne and I aren't um, bringing up anything radically new. Um, and we together have discussed readings and hymns and ideas that have put the service together today um, out of our, share our shared interest and our invitation to you to jointly talk and think about what we understand to be the term radical hospitality's meaning and what it might mean to incorporate even more of it into our individual and collective spiritual practice. So this isn't just how do we welcome newcomers after church during coffee hour. This is radical hospitality as as a spiritual practice, as a deep questioning um, of who we are and how we go up about showing up in the world. And so what I'm gonna do right now is share the thoughts of others, both in our Unitarian Universalist tradition and in um, other traditions, on what radical hospitality asks of us and how difficult it is and why, with that difficulty and through that difficulty, we should push on and toward 
thinking of this church and this community and this place not as ours, not as something that we, the members and friends, own and therefore can dispense to others, but maybe thinking of it as a well, an oasis, a place of nourishment and refreshment for all who come through the doors. Okay, so the first words I want to share with you this morning are from Rabbi Rachel Berenblatt, and they are taken from her blog, The Velveteen Rabbi. I don't make this up, people. Just consider I've opened quotes here. I'll close quotes when we come to that point. So, at the very beginning of this week's Torah portion, Vayera, it's in Genesis, God appears to Abraham at the, by the terebinths of Mamre, immediately on the heels of Abraham's circumcision. Okay? So, in the Torah, these things are chronological, and even though we don't have to read any holy scripture in a chronological way, the linear reading of this allows for the interpretation that God, when he appears to Adam immediately after his circumcision, is paying the first recorded pastoral care visit. So this is a notion which pleases the lay chaplains and rabbis that this person knows. So I think also that is charming beyond all belief. Okay, so then the Torah tells us Abraham looks up and sees three men standing nearby. And immediately he leaps into action. Apparently, whatever discomfort he is still suffering is minimal or is mitigated by his strong impulse toward hospitality. So Abraham rushes to greet them, bowing low and urging them to come, wash their feet, rest, and dine with him. Later in this Torah portion at the beginning of chapter 19 of Genesis, the men are referred to as malachim, as angels. But when they first appear to Abraham, they have the aspect of ordinary men. Abraham's fervent hospitality, in other words, is his usual modus operandi. He's not offering these guys the royal treatment because he thinks them to be messengers of the Blessed Holy One. He just genuinely wants to make these men feel welcome. The point is, he treats these men like beloved friends returned from afar, granted, we have learned, if we're reading Genesis chronologically, that um, Abraham has just returned from his sojourn in Egypt, and he has a whole bunch of sheep and oxen and donkeys and camels, and he has no shortage of critters to eat. But there's no necessary correlation between wealth and generosity. Abraham may have plenty of animals, but he still made the conscious decision to slaughter one to feed these strangers who materialized outside his door. What really strikes me, and again, I'm the vel velveteen rabbi here, so picture that, about Abraham is his stance and the personal and ethical principles his stance implies. If I glanced up from my desk when I was writing and saw three strange men standing in my yard, some part of me might be a little afraid. I might feel tempted to stand protectively on the threshold of the door, door not really open wide, until I could ascertain who these strangers might be. This isn't because I'm paranoid or because I live in an unsafe place, but I still might feel an instinct to be guarded with strangers, especially strangers who appear out of nowhere. Not so Abraham. He rises from his seat or his rug or his sick bed, depending on how the imagined scene unfolds in your head, and rushes out to offer 
a welcome, come in peace to these visitors. He draws the men inside to rest, to wash away the dust of the road, and to dine on the finest food his wife and servant can muster. In today's world, I hope gender roles aren't so cut and dried, but let's cut Abraham some slack on that. He matches words of welcome with actions that embody that welcome into being. He wants who, all who pass into his dwelling to find sustenance there. This is radical hospitality at its finest. What Abraham knew, and what we struggle to remember and affirm, is that the people we encounter are indeed messengers of the Holy Blessed One. The message we all bear is that we are created in God's image. No matter our differences, we are all reflections of the living God. When we choose to open our doors and our hearts to the people we meet, we embody the wise welcome that characterized Abraham in his desert dwelling. As we orient ourselves in relationship to the wide, wide world, may we experience Abraham's ability to make the stranger truly welcome. It's a blessing we can offer to the people we encounter, and in so doing, offer also to ourselves. So those are one rabbi's reflections on what the Torah shows us, Abraham, the first Jew, um, what his stance was towards hospitality, what his sense of moral obligation was towards hospitality. Now I'm going to bring in another rabbi, Danya Ruttenberg. She's the author of Surprised by God, a memoir, and someone I like to think of as Twitter's foremost Jewish educator. Um, she also has thoughts about hospitality in the moral, spiritual, and political arena. So she reminds people that the Hebrew Bible lays out for God's people over and over and over again, literally something like 236 times, their obligations to hospitality to the stranger, the newcomer. So in Leviticus, a biblical book famous for its long treatises on how to build an ark, um, we read, should a stranger reside with you in your land, do not wrong them. The stranger shall be with you just like one of your citizens, and you shall love them as yourself, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. I am God, your God. So she gives a little exegesis of this passage, but I'll summarize it in sort of the three main points. Don't wrong the stranger. They will be with you as one of your own. So all of a sudden, they're not strangers, right? They're one of us. They're one of you. And love them, right? Those are the commandments of hospitality and welcome that the authors of the Torah are giving to their people. Three levels of political, social, and spiritual welcome that are a commandment from God to his freed people. Now, I'm drawn to these lessons. So now we're back at me. That was the end of Rabbi Daniel Ruttenberg. I'm drawn to this lesson not because I require a God or a Torah to demand of us that we offer a physical and spiritual home to people. That's not it at all. Rather, I'm drawn to it because it reminds me that people are tribal and that we have been afraid of that which appears different or novel for as long as we have been writing our stories. 
The author of the Torah, the authors of the Torah, spent a lot of time and energy explaining hospitality to their people. Hospitality is hard, but it is a moral and ethical imperative that free people have been striving to attain for millennia. So now I'm going to switch sources and come to the UU. Marilyn Sewell, the minister emerita at the First Unitarian Church in Portland, Oregon, shared a sermon that you can find on the UUA's worship web that I will also partially cite here as well. Okay. So hospitality, Reverend Sewell writes, is a word with a spiritual history as a matter of fact. So I go back to the Torah and the rabbis. She goes to monasteries. Monasteries grew up around the 5th century. Strangers in need could come there for care. The first primitive hospitals, in fact, began there. Hospital, hospice, hospitable, hospitality, all from the same root word, meaning generous, caring, and sustaining. The most famous of these monasteries was that of St. Benedict. Benedict created a book of rules to live by called the Rule of Benedict, which is used still today by many monasteries. And the foundation of the rule is listening. Listen with the ear of your heart, Benedict writes. And when I began researching radical hospitality and looking for sources on it, just a simple Google search sends you to contemporary paperback copies of the book of St. Benedict, the rule of Benedict. You can find it evidently everywhere. Um, I'll continue with the words of Reverend Sewell. Robert Putnam, the Harvard political scientist best known for his book, Bowling Alone, in which he writes of the growing isolation of Americans, um, has done some new research, and his conclusions, well, she says they're surprising. I think if we start with looking at Leviticus and Genesis, maybe they're not so much surprising. He wants to find out what happens when diverse group of, groups of people live in the same area as opposed to a homogeneous group of people living in an area. Okay. So he found that when people are among people unlike themselves, they tend to hunker down, literally. Not only do they not interact as much with people who are different from themselves, they don't interact with their own group as much either. They watch more TV. They have fewer friends. They're less likely to work on community projects. The level of trust and interaction is greatest when people are with others who are most like themselves. That's kind of sobering. Um, when these results came back, Putnam distrusted what he saw. And so he spent a few more years checking out his data and interviewed 30,000 people. And yes, he found out the data were right. Putnam, a dyed-in-the-wool progressive and very pro-diversity kind of guy, Nevertheless concludes, in the face of diversity, most of us retreat. Another study shows that churches that try to bridge social divisions have a tough job. Paul Lichtermann, in his book, Elusive Togetherness, says that churches that attempt to bridge strong social differences mean well, but are often not successful. He says when churches in his studies tried to do outreach, differences in social customs and styles of relating made it nearly impossible for faith-based efforts to close the gap. 
He said that the single group in his study that did succeed in bridging this gap, so this is, this is my nugget to, that I want to pull out of here, Con constantly evaluated and reevaluated what they were doing and why they were doing it in order to understand their own cultural underpinnings and those of others. In other words, they paid close attention to how they were talking, interacting, and engaging on a daily level. They learned to approach others as partners rather than people they were helping. Success, in other words, lies not so much in ideology or in organizational structure, but in the detailed content of our conversations. So the difference between meaning well and being really reflective on how we talk, what we say, what we assume, what we don't say. Continuing with Reverend Sewell, what does this mean for us as a church? We are committed to being a welcoming community. And you know that the, the UUA and the CUC have welcoming congregation certification that you can get, right? We say we believe in the inherent worth and dignity of all, and yet we're human beings, and we have the same challenges that all human beings have. The same human beings that millennia ago required 236 injunctions in their holy book to welcome the stranger. We feel more comfortable with when we are with people we know. We come to church, we gravitate to the people we know. We feel less comfortable when we're with people who have different ideas and interests, different cultural assumptions. Tribalism is strong. <clears throat> so, radical hospitality is a term that might roll easily off the tongue, but to actually carry it out is a demanding undertaking. Sewell continues, we're not a department store, not a government agency, not a clinic. All of these places, one would be expected to re be received politely, as it were, served our due, right? People on the phone with the CRA, so polite, right? No, we are a church, and it is appropriate that we ask ourselves, what is the moral dimension of our hospitality, the moral dimension of our reception of others, of our solidarity with others, who may not look like us or move from the same assumptions or values. And I'm not talking about being politically correct, she says, or legalistic. I'm talking about hospitality as a spiritual practice. Not just about opening the doors, but opening the heart. Bringing diverse people together is difficult. We've established that, but this isn't because people are bad. It's because human beings have a built-in tribalism that needs to be challenged consciously and intentionally. What, then, opens the heart and brings people who are different together? It's not ideology or theology, says Reverend Sewell, nor is it form that brings people together. It is content and conversation. It is the universals that all people care about. Their children, this good earth, an end to mindless violence, and a yearning for peace. So that is the end of Reverend Sewell's reflections on this, or the part that I'm quoting anyway. So Reverend Sewell reinforces the struggle that the Torah implies. Being hospitable is difficult. Integrating the new is a challenge. However, all of these thinkers and writers, 
whether from millennia ago or contemporary sociologists or our own spiritual leaders, demand that we meet this challenge. And meeting the challenge and living in such a way and communicating in such a way that our belief in the interconnected web of existence and our belief in the inherent worth and dignity of all people is evident to everyone who encounters us because it is our own Unitarian Universalist commandment. We can't follow this commandment, however, by simply saying we are radically hospitable and welcoming. It isn't something we say, it's something we practice, which means it is a daily imperfect striving, a setting of intention and pointing ourselves in a direction, having conversations, making plans, and then reflecting, how did that go? What does that mean? How was that interaction? What did I learn? And the practice, we hope, eventually makes perfect. Please join us in hymn 1031 in the Teal Book, May I Be Filled with Loving Kindness. Meditation in words. Being radically hospitable begins with awareness and empathy. We see in others a reflection of ourselves seeking inclusion, reassurance, comfort, and community. Radical hospitality means remembering what it is to feel invited in, recognizing our own yearnings to belong, when complacency or distractedness causes us to in unintentionally ignore opportunities to show welcome and caring, 
May we be reminded that kindness requires mindfulness and intention. We will now enter the silence.
Even though we are entering what I like to think of as a period of unsettled ministry, as opposed to settled ministry, after Reverend Brian's retirement, we're going to keep doing a few things, like the community question. Yvonne and I have spoken about radical hospitality and what its challenges are, and what a moral or spiritual obligation to radical hospitality is in the views of some people. And I'd like to give us an opportunity to reflect on that in small groups. And then, um, because I was a professor for a long time and I can't let it go, I'm going to call on a few people to tell me, us, what your group talked about that you'd like to share. What would it look like if each of us in our church adopted radical hospitality as a spiritual practice? What would it look like if our church was even more radically hospitable to members, to newcomers, to friends, to outsiders? And what would your role be in that movement? In our group with Lynn and Dale and Yvonne, we talked a little bit about the challenges of bringing perhaps a colleague or a friend or a neighbor or someone in your life into the space who might not share the values that are already here, that it might feel uncomfortable. But what we kind of came to as a group, and Dale summarized it beautifully for us, was that when we're bringing people to this space that might not be in alignment with what's already here, we have to have a, a trust that our fellow congregants will make space for that person. I think I could summarize it by saying that radical hospitality within the congregation isn't practiced alone. It's, it, we support each other. Thank you very much. Just a couple of quick things came up from the group. One was about the caution in in one's own health and stuff in terms of being hospital. A lot of this was about being service-oriented and that you can actually start to uh, damage your, your own self personally and be very aware of why you're being hospital, self-aware that are you doing it for yourself, about the feeling that you have of being a very hospitable person and being very self-aware about your motivations because sometimes they're actually personal. The other thing is, is consistent what you had said is, because one of the big things I think about the Unitarian Church is being curious about what other people are thinking. I find sometimes that doesn't actually take place. It's more about self-affirming of we all believe this and we all believe that. And there's actually a wide variety of diversity where people don't actually agree with each other. And I think there's a lack of curiosity sometimes to explore why do these other people think the way that they do? in an actually active, curious way, rather than the, the uh, them and us. Particularly with new immigrants in various groups who, frankly, are, come from a social conservative background. And actually, if you're going to be welcoming, you have to understand that's where they're, they're coming from in heritage. So that's just the being curious and self-care. 
Thank you so much. I, I love that notion of being curious about other people and, and that we start at home, right, with our own curiosity about the plurality of beliefs that we embody, because we do. That's one of the reasons we come here is because we don't have to all stand and say the Nicene Creed together, right? We get to have a plurality of beliefs. I'm actually listening to the, the sort of meta discussion rather than just the small group discussion that I was part of, but it strikes me two things. Radical hospitality, if it was easy, we'd be doing it already. So we need to be radically hospitable to ourselves as well in just giving it a try rather than trying to make it perfect the very first time we do it. The other thing that struck me is that often when we have opportunities to get together around food, we're less self-conscious about approaching strangers. And maybe if you feed them, they will come. So thank you all so much for thinking along with us about radical hospitality. And I hope those conversations continue. Pardon the noise. We have one more hymn and then our closing words. So I'm going to invite everybody to stand and sing Our World is One World. It's 134 in your gray hymnal. It's beautiful. Love is the spirit of this church and service its law. This is our great covenant. To dwell together in peace, to seek the truth in love, and to help one another. Thank you. We will now sing Carry the Flame. Join hands and sing Carry the Flame. 